Over the last two decades, I've been on a quest to learn everything I can about leadership, obsessed with what makes the best leaders so good. After running companies small and large for the last 20 years, today I speak on stages all across the world to audiences who are interested in that same question. My name's John Laredo, and I'm your host. I invite you to join me on this journey as we explore this topic. What makes the best leaders so good? Welcome to Tomorrow's Leader. All right, you're about to hear from my good buddy, Lee Rubin. He and I go back to uh, high school 30 plus years ago. He was a superstar athlete, football, basketball, track, went on to play at Penn State under Joe Paterno. You're going to hear some awesome stories about that. And today he works with companies all across the world on, on leadership and building winning teams. He speaks professionally. Really cool. I, I 10 years ago, I remember him telling me about this and I was talking with him about his business at the time and just to see and learn what he's done and how his business has grown. He's kind of just living the dream um, and just a really great balanced guy, great uh, family life and just celebrating 25 years with his beautiful wife, Carmen. So uh, really good stuff all around. So without any further ado, here's Lee. All right. Welcome to today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader, where we dive deep on all things leader related, relating to leading yourself and leading other people. And I have a fantastic guest on today who I am super excited to have for a lot of reasons, because I've known this guy now for guess going back 30 years, Lee Rubin and I went to high school. I'm thinking, is that, was that 30 years, Lee? Is that 30 year reunion? 30 plus. 30 plus. All right. Maybe yeah. It's 30 yeah. Plus. So that, 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 that means we, 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 we're old. We ended, we ended high school 30 years ago. Wow. That's a long time. We've known each other longer than that. Wow. You got it. Well, one of my good, good friends and somebody who I respect tremendously. And uh, I'll just do a brief intro because I know he's a humble guy. Lee Rubin was a guy, and I just remember high school days where everybody across the state of New Jersey knew who Lee Rubin was because Lee was just this larger-than-life guy who was an unbelievable uh, athlete, and not just one sport, pretty much anything he touched. I know your sports primarily were football, basketball, I remember you excelling, I mean, track and field, anything you did. Uh, and, uh, he has used his sports background and his success and propelled into wild success in business. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but man, you bring back a lot of memories. I remember just, yeah. wow, Lee Rubin. It's so good to have you, man. Good to, good to be here. Good to be here. And, and, and thanks for having me. This is a, this is a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely, man. So I got to start. I know I saw a post and I'm really curious to ask you about, uh, which this is a big deal. There was the, uh, the Shore face of the franchise. So it was like New, New Jersey Shore area high school football. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you got some good news. What happened? Yeah, well, so just a little background there. I, I, out of the blue, I, I see this. I'm tagged on this Twitter post about a face of the franchise contest. And so what they did was they went to every high school in the shore area, in the New Jersey shore area, and nominated, they, they had nominations for five, six people at each of those schools to be the face of the franchise. When you think about that school's football program, who's the person you think about? And, um, you know, drum roll is, I found out last night that it looks like I won. Hasn't been a fit, I've, I've got no uh, official statement yet, so... Wow, uh, but but it looks like the poll is closed, and it looks like I've got the most votes. So, yeah. I'm 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 the face of the franchise from an that is un unbelievable man. I just remember, and I you know, in all sincerity, I'd I'd watch you play, and it was like watching a professional athlete play at the high school level. I mean, you were on a whole different level. It wasn't even like it was close. Whether you were playing football or basketball, you just dominated. I mean, what did that feel like at that point? I mean, that's got to be amazing. Well, here's the deal, and, and and this, you know, without going too fast, too too far, too fast, I was on incredible teams with other incredible players, and I think what made me special is I knew how to get the most out of other people. Um, so when I transitioned to the to the college level, I played football at Penn State. I realized that physically, while I might have been better than most in high school there were guys who were just bigger, faster, and stronger. 
and so I've, I've thought about this a lot. Like, you know, why did I excel the way I did at certain, you know, at, at that level? And I, I think it comes down to, you know, being confident in yourself and being a good leader and getting the most out of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, when the team wins, the individual looks a whole lot better. And, and that's, I think what I posted on, on what I shared on LinkedIn about the, the poll is mm-hmm. it's amazing when the team does well, individuals on that team get more accolades than they would have had the team not have done well. Yeah, that's you know, true. That's if if you look point. at most all-star teams or, you know, mo- most all pro teams or all major league baseball teams, there may be one or two people on, on some of the bad teams, but they're primarily from winning teams. And, yeah. you know, that, that, that's something we could kind of dig into and talk about if you'd like. So let me ask you this. So was that, were you always like that playing sports where you were a leader on the team? Was that something that did something click at some point where you're like, Hey, you know what? I, I actually feel like I can influence their performance on the team performance. John, I've been the captain of every team that I've been on, including at Penn state. And wow. I, I just, I, it's no surprise that, that's what I do now is, is try to help lead teams and build extraordinary teams. Um, I just think that we're better together than any one of us could be by ourselves. And um, not, not something that clicked, I kind of in retrospect, look back and say, wait a minute, like I was the leader here, captain here, captain here. Um, it, it's just a part of who I am because I think naturally I'm a, uh, I'm a bridge builder. I'm a connector. Um, you know, if, if you did my strengths finder, like, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who's always trying to bring the people together because I just, I just think that we're better together than any of us could be by ourselves. So were you, did you ever do uh, individual sports or was it always team sports? So track and field was uh, yeah. individual. And so here's the interesting thing about that is I, I really did track to stay in shape for the other two sports, basketball and football. Mm-hmm. But uh, track for the team is actually kind of interesting. Um, And, you know, people score points for placing in certain races or or certain events, right? So you get certain points for first, second, and third place finishes in each of those events. And so from a coach's perspective, they're looking to maximize the number of points. So there were times where I probably could have won a race, an individual race, Mm-hmm. But I remember the track coach saying, hey, Lee, we need some points in this event of events that I didn't like doing um, so that we could win as a team. Uh-huh. And, and, and so while wrestling, track and field, um, maybe even golf, tennis, while those appear to be individual sports when you're when you're competing as a team, there's some strategy and there's some manipulation, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Of, of trying to maximize the team points so mm-hmm. that the team wins as well. So yeah. even, even sports, even financial advising, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, the, yes, yeah. it's, it, you're worried about your book of business, but maybe working with you might not be what's best for the client. Yeah. Um, maybe they need to work with a different advisor who's a part of the team. So um, for me, it all comes down to teams. So let me ask you this, and this relates to, to, to I want to talk about your sports career and then we'll talk about business, but it relates to both. A lot of people, they might be a leader on a team, then they go to a different team or they get promoted or they go take over another office or they go in a different career. You went and played at Penn State afterwards under Joe Paterno, which is unbelievable. Um, what a high-level program that is. I mean, you were far and away above you know any other player in high school. What was that like when you went to college and played for that level of a team? Quite a transition. Um, again, as I mentioned, you realize that, okay, you used to be you know, a big fish in either a big or small pond, but when you get into a really big pond, there's not just big fish, there's sharks, <laughs> you know, there's, there's whales and, and, and there's guys there who are just, just, they're just physical specimen. I mean, Penn state sends five, seven guys to the NFL every year. That's wow. just how physically talented everyone is at that level. Was it intimidating? It's um, it's an adjustment. I wouldn't call it intimidating um, because you're, you're aware of it before you get there. You, you know what you're getting into, yeah. right? So I'm in high school. I'm getting letters and phone calls from college teams. You watch those college teams on Saturday. 
and like there's Herschel Walker running the ball and Bo Jackson running the ball. And, 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 you know, so you're thinking, oh my God, like I'm being asked to play at that level. Yeah. So you know what you're getting into. Yeah. So it, it's not a surprise. Let's just say that even if it's intimidating, it's not a surprise because right. you know what you're getting into. Yeah. And you're around people who have made the transition. And that's part of the reason I chose Penn State is the guys who were there you know, the, the five-star recruits and the Heisman Trophy candidates and the All-Americans treated me like a little brother, not, you know, they, hey, hey, Lee, we've been exactly where you are. Take your time, get yourself together, get your head right, get your body right. You can function. We would not have recruited you if we didn't think you could play at this level. Hmm. And so now we're talking about de facto mentoring and, yeah. you know, and what the culture is like, because there were some other schools that I visited, they were like, okay, who are you? What do you want? Wow. So and, and that so, men- mentoring played a big part. How, absolutely. How was that? Absolutely. And, yeah. and, 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 and being a culture where it was a brotherhood where everyone was extremely competitive, but we're, we're, we realized that we're in this together. It's us against the world. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and those guys also knew that, you know, I'll get mine if we do well. Yeah. In fact, I'll get more, if yeah. we do well, did you seek out the mentors or did they come to you or how was that? No, no, it's, it's just part of the culture, part of the program. Um, okay. Hey, you know, you're part of this team. Um, you were part of the vet or, or we as yeah. the existing team was part of the vetting process, yeah. which is something I talk about in recruiting. Uh, uh, you know, when leadership just finds people and throws them into the team or into the family without them having any say that can be tough. Yeah. But, but when you go on your visits, you're actually hosted by other players, you know, that they, they take you around and they're part of the vetting process. Are you, they really? You, so they have a say in oh, that? It's not oh, just abso- Joe Paterno? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. I, I hosted a number of players and the conversation after the, the, the recruit left was, what you think? Is he a Penn State type guy? Is he going to fit here? Is he going to be trouble for us or for himself? Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts? So they're um, looking for, you're looking for the, the mental game, the impact on the culture. Is that why they're, they're draw, drawing in everybody else to help make that decision? Ab- absolutely. Because yeah. fellow players are going to find out more than the coaches will. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's you know, they actually, you know, so most, <laughs> this is why coach Paterno and Penn state was just different. So on most, revi- most recruiting visits, you stay in a really nice hotel. They take you out to really nice restaurants. At Penn State, Coach Paterno's philosophy was every freshman is going to stay in the dorms. I don't care if you're, you know, God's gift to, to football. You're going to stay in the dorms. And so what we're going to do is put you with a host who currently lives in the dorms, right? You're not staying in a hotel. So my recruiting trip at Penn State was a cot. I slept on a cot. <laughs> Right. A cot in one of the players rooms, because that's the life you're going to live. Yeah. And the recruiting trips are in January and February, typically, at least they were then. And so recruits from Florida and South Carolina and Texas. No, you're going to come up here in January and February when it's, you know, negative degrees and you got to walk across campus to go to class. Yeah. Right. Coming to Penn State is not about playing in Beaver Stadium with 95,000 seats back then. It's 107 now. Um, wow. No, you're going to walk across campus and the, across yeah. the tundra. Yeah, <laughs> you know because cool. that's what it's like to be a student athlete here. It's um, interesting, and I think I, there's two things I pull away from that. One is the importance I see businesses all the time, and I did this running businesses where I could have and should have drawn in more people to recruiting decisions. I mean, you know, but I used to ask my uh, staff that was at the front desk, yes, Hey, what'd you yeah, think absolutely. of Lee when he came in or whomever, absolutely. because they're going to see stuff to your point and, and you get more buy-in with that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. So, so the players took the recruits to dinner, to lunch, Yeah. right. We took them out to parties and you know, that cause they typically stay a, a weekend. Mm. Um, but it's interesting. So we'll, we'll fast forward at some point, but in my recruiting experience, after football, um, one of the things that was critical to me was how you treated our recruiting coordinator, Mm. right? When you're filling out the application that you really don't want to fill out another application, like, did you give her a hard time? Were you Mm. rude to her? 
because when you meet with me, you're on your best behavior. You're smiling and look good. You smell good. But if you were snobby with her, I don't want you here. That's your real self coming out. And so exactly. And so she was a part of the the, the vetting process. Um, so, so, you know, intuitively, you know, those things, right. If, if, if someone at the front desk said, Hey, John, you know, this person was not nice. You you take that in, but you know, thinking back to the wisdom of coach Paterno, like, yeah, that's a brilliant strategy. That, that was, it was designed. It yeah. was, it was already thought through. Well, and the team has more ownership and the, the players have more ownership of the team when they're involved in decisions like that. I mean, that's huge. Bingo. But then the other thing I take away from that is, you know, there's so many companies, I see business leaders out there where they're, they're focused so much on attracting a talent, top a talent, which everybody mm-hmm. wants that they go so overboard to to entice them and paint this picture of this company of their organization or their team that's not realistic and then they wonder when that person they do get the person and i've seen this people join an organization and they join and they're like wait a sec what this isn't what i signed up for how big of a problem is that that you see yeah well two thoughts um again looking back and, and 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 being honest with myself i probably was a b player not an a player in terms of physical ability. Really? You think so? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh abs- absolutely. John, the, the, like the talent at that level, yeah. like Saquon Barkley yeah. is an A player. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So we, we had a Saquon Barkley. We had a guy named Blair Thomas. We had guys, OJ McDuffie, and, and, and I could keep naming them, but, but, but there's, there's power in B players. Mm-hmm. Guys who are, cons- they're good. Yeah. They're consistent. They, they're, they're glue. They, they, they hold the team together. And so, you know, when you mention a players, um, yeah. you know, some, you need some B's and C's right, who, are, right. who are contributors yeah. who are assets to the team. You know, That's once a, you get past C, yeah, you know, now you're starting to take away from the team and you've got to spend more time on them. But yeah. But I think I read an article years ago about the power of B players. Yeah, that's a great point because they might be, you know, B player in one respect, whether it's performance or results in an organization, but they're the glue that keeps the team together or they're the ones yeah. that'll call somebody out or they're the ones that yeah. open yeah. up lines they're, of communication. Yeah, yeah, they're great locker room guys. Yeah. You know, you don't feel like being, a, hey, come on, guys, today's a great day. Let's get this done. Let's, let's get better today. Right. right. They might not run a 4-2-40, you know, in, yeah. in football. Yeah, right football yeah. terms but yeah. you know they, they run four four the four five forty yeah but they're solid every day and yeah. I, you know i they set a pace it's like the rudy rudiger, rudiger you know it's like oh no, okay. we, we don't talk about that's notre dame we don't talk <laughs> oh about yeah it. that's right <laughs> that's the no-go zone okay gotcha <laughs> uh, so so that was the first thought to that to that comment but the second thing is uh, and i tell this story a lot during my talks as it relates to business and recruiting when coach paterno came to my house he, he, he sold, right? If you come to Penn State, four things will happen. You'll get a quality education. You'll never play in front of an empty seat. You'll be on national television 10 times a year, and you'll play for either an undefeated season or a national championship, right? At 17, 18 years old, the legend is here. He's selling me. We think you can be an asset. You know, he's singing the song. I'm like, where do I sign? Yeah. But, but he didn't stop there. Here's what he said, John. That goes to your point. He said, Lee, you're a high school quarterback. You get all the attention, you get all the accolades, you score the touchdowns, right? He said, but if you come to Penn State, you don't fit into our offensive scheme. You're not going to play quarterback here. Like, we think we're going to put you on defense and be a defensive back. Mm-hmm. And so so while he did sell it, he painted a realistic picture that included sacrifice, yeah. right? I'm no longer going to be the quarterback, and, you know? Yeah have all the mics in my face after the game. Yeah. Um, like, but you're going to be a part of something to achieve something bigger than you could do by yourself. Yeah. And, and, and so sacrifice and reality was par- also part of right. the recruiting process. He Don't set s- the expectations. Yeah. Yeah. He set, yeah. he set them right up front. Like, here. this is not about you, buddy. Cause right. you know, yes, you probably feel excited about me being here with you, but guess yeah. what? When I leave here, I'm going, yeah. I'm going down to Tom's River to see another recruit, and then I'm going up yeah. to North Jersey to see another recruit. Yeah. Um, so yeah. now, and, and, that, and all, yeah, and all of those people and all of those pieces, if they if they 
come in with the team orientation, that's what makes us successful. Yeah. And that's, I talk to leaders about that all the time, the importance of transparency. I mean, he was super transparent. Did that make you want to go there less in reality? More, or? Absolutely more. Absolutely more. Because all the other coaches were blowing smoke. Yeah. And, right. You know, you know, even at 17, I, I you could see I knew, through that. You know, smoke when you see it. Yeah. When you oh, smell yeah. It. yeah. Right. Right. You know, it, I, one, one quick funny story because yeah. this came up recently. Yeah. So there, there was one college coach who was recruiting me. And when he first met me, he saw, you know, I'm, I'm this African-American kid in this predominantly white suburban town. Um, so he was kind of feeling me out. Um, then he kind of, I, I don't know what triggered the thought, but he would always call or send a note, you know, and, and just, you know, just, just, what's up, bro? Hey, how you doing, cuz? Yo, how them girls, you know, it, it, it was very casual, very um chummy chummy and like yeah. yeah just yeah you know you chilling you know yeah i got you <laughs> so that was the language and then as he found out more and he found out that my dad was a, a minister a pastor the conversation switched immediately <laughs> praise god lee um i am praying that all is well with you and your blessed family oh wow <laughs> like, Bro, are you really going to just switch it like that? Wow. Like, no, you're not going to, you know. There's no transition. Or just a flip of a switch. Like, so oh. you're, you're, you're just, you're just, you're blowing smoke. And then when Paterno says, hey, we think you're good. You're not the best guy we got at the position. Yeah. But we think you can help us out. And, you know, it, you're really tiny. You, you can't throw the ball. I know you play quarterback, but you can't throw the ball. Like, wait, are you recruiting me? Or are you trying to give me a complex? But it was just, it was just, here's straight, what it is. Shooting straight. Yeah. Here's what and it authentic. is. Authentic. Yeah. Wow. Great story. Yeah. So I want to transition to business. So you've done so you did so much on on the field and the court. You now are doing so much business wise. You went, I know after school, you went, you worked in financial services for a handful yeah. of years. And yeah. then you've made this transition into what you're doing now. Tell us about that. Like how, how you did it and what you're doing now. Sure. So the transition into corporate world is important. Um, I worked for, so I spent 15 years in human resources, mm -hmm. building teams, okay. <laughs> you know, hiring people, helping hiring managers, helping departments build their respective teams. Um, most of those years was in financial services, Merrill Lynch, um, Charles Schwab. Um, I, I did try to, to vary to diversify my industry. So spent some time Johnson and Johnson, Price Waterhouse Coopers, but an HR professional for about 18 years, mm -hmm. primarily in the on the recruiting side. So it's 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 funny, I a lot of the team stuff that I learned in sports, I was able to bring into my recruiting world. Um have always had an entrepreneurial bug. Um and so you know, I was always looking for ways either on the side or, you know, one day, you know, to, to, to kind of do my own thing. So at some point I left recruiting and I started my own little recruiting company, um, a little staffing company. And the focus was helping companies find former student athletes mm. because of all the intangibles that we bring to the table. Oh, yeah. Right team orientation, the mm -hmm. work ethic, the goal orientation, mm -hmm. um, the discipline. So, so all, all of those things that make former athletes special corporate employees. Mm -hmm. So companies would pay me to help them find leaders and, and, and outstanding student, former student athletes. Mm -hmm. um, really enjoyed that. But as a former athlete, I would be asked often to come and speak at different events, right? Come speak at our awards banquet. Hey, could you say a few words to our team? Could you come and you know speak at the graduation? And the more I did that, the more I loved it. And um, and the more I did it, the better I got at it. Mm -hmm. And so you know, here and there, it got to be more frequent. And um, I said, you know what? I think this is something I, I want to give a shot at. And um, you know. Yeah made enough money, kind of built up, you know, enough of a, a reputation. Uh, and, yeah. you know, I guess I was nearing my 40th birthday or so and said, you know what, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Oh, yeah. 
and um, I'll regret not doing it. And um, I just, I, when I say I jumped, I just jumped. Wow. Um, now, so I want to, I want to, I want to delve into this because this is fascinating to me. And as you know, I've gone through this recently now, you know, yeah, uh, 10 yeah. years after you did. Uh, so you're, first of all, so many people, I think they live with regrets. I think probably 90% of people that are listening to this are, are uh, there's something they wish they did sooner or they did that they never did. And they'll go to be 60 and 65 and 70 and look back and say, boy, I never did it. You did it. Now, was there, when you decided that you wanted to be a professional speaker, you are now, and we'll talk about your career and what it looks like now. Um, what was there? You liked speaking. Was there a specific moment? Like were you on a stage during a presentation? You're like, I want to do this professionally, or was it a gradual thing? Like what happened? It was a gradual thing. Um, I, I can't say that there was that light bulb moment that made me that, you know, that just that event or that moment that just changed everything for me. It was, it was gradual. Mm-hmm. Um, going to work every day in an environment and in a structure um, that just didn't maximize who I was and what I could contribute. It, it was, it was frustrating. So there's something I'm enjoying on one end. There's an experience that I'm dreading on the other end. Okay, you can continue complaining and whining about this, or you can do something. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I will say the confidence I had to make this work um, was critical because there's some dark, lonely, ugly days, <laughs> you know, in this business. And so, wait a minute when things get tough and you're not booking gigs or, or even if you book gigs and you're not getting paid on time and, mm-hmm. you know, you need that money to support a family, yeah. um, you know, is this really better than having to go to a great job making X number of dollars? Yeah. Like, did I really make the right decision? And you better be confident yeah. um, that you did make the right decision if you're going to kind of plow through some of that. Yeah. Did you know when you did it, did you say to yourself, Hey, I'm not turning back, or did you go into it and say, let me try this out? I can't say I burned the, the boats, right? You, yeah. you know, you've heard that expression before. I, I can't say because, again, as a responsible husband and father, you do what you have to do. Yeah. Um, but there were, you know, there was enough light periodically at the end of every tunnel, right? Okay, you know, stick it out. It's tough now, you know, what, but you, you've got what it takes. Yeah. Um, just kind of keep pushing through. So I, 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 I can't, I can't say that it was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to die trying like, no, yeah, you know, yeah. this doesn't work out. Yeah. Cause I'm not, again, I'm not doing this by myself. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a husband and a father. Yeah. Um, but had, had tremendous support from my family um, to kind of weather kind of like going to med school or going to law school. Right. You know, mm-hmm things get tough for a while. Yeah. You know, just, you know, well, you're used to going to work every day, getting dressed, going, you know, yeah. Going to a building and, and dealing with people and coming home and bringing home a check on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, that, that, that orientation just got completely demolished right now. Yeah. You know, things are, you know, you're, you're a gig worker. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I work with, and I know you do too, a lot of business owners, people looking at, they're launching a business and it's like Paterno setting the expectations with you about, Hey, here's what the real deal is. You know, what most people do, a lot of people are thinking, Hey, you know what? Maybe it'll take a year to get up and running or, or six months and then I'll be rocking they're not setting the right expectations. So then when they hit those rough spots, they haven't prepped themselves. They haven't gone into it and said, hey, am I willing to pay the price of what it's going to take to really succeed, which is the blood, sweat, the tears, the sacrifice, everything, right? John, you're exactly right. I am so glad social media didn't exist in its current form then Mm -hmm. because everyone presents this facade everyone present presents this idea of how great their business is but you know un- unless you, you're the beneficiary of of you know a wealthy mom and dad you know you got to work through building a business mm-hmm. and you know there there's there's tough times but the the way social media says i'm an entrepreneur and i'm balling here's my jet here are my you know yeah here right my cars, here's my house and all you have to do is send me <laughs> right. you know 
X number of dollars. Well, dude, that's how you got the jet in the car. You keep hustling us to get that right. money. Exactly. <laughs> um, but like, it can be depressing because you see what entrepreneurial being an entrepreneur should look like. Yeah. And yeah. it's not looking that way for you. That, that, that can be, yeah, that can be tough. Well, um, and we, you know, I think people measure against between where they are versus their ideal self or the ideal image versus the progress that they've made, you know, and exactly. Hey, what did I, what was I doing last year and where am I now? agree 100%. So I, I was very fortunate, had some really cool mentors, some people who were honest and open and tough with me. Um, yeah. Hey, Lee, you know, suck it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, suck it up. And, and, and interestingly enough, the, the people that that were mentors of mine in the speaking business were former athletes. Oh, interesting. And they, they, they would always they tie back, hey, man, this is preseason camp, right? Nobody's around. You know, it's hot three a day practices, shut up, suck it up and get it done. Make those calls, get those emails out. Where's your video? You know, you know how your website sucks. I had a, I had a, a, a woman who owns a speakers bureau said, Lee, you're a really good speaker, but your website sucks. <laughs> That's wow. Direct. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? It, provoked action yeah and your website is fantastic by the way real quick plug it's at lee rubin speaks right.com it's a fantastic website i looked to try to model mine after that it's terrific i appreciate it um and and that's just from taking advice from other people yeah that's the beauty of this business john um the speaking business is people are very very open to sharing information and i figured out why or i was told why actually um because I'll give you everything I know about the business because you can never be me. Right. I remember financial advisors, they wouldn't tell all their secrets because Mm, they they want to be the kingpin. Right. But in this business, you can do everything I'm doing. Yeah. But your story is different than my story. And you, you could, you could give my speech verbatim. It won't come from the same place. Right. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so, because John is unique to Lee and we're not competing against each other because I can never beat John yeah. at being John. Yeah. I'm free to give you everything I've got, all the information I've got. Yeah. Because right. You're no we're no threats to each other. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah. Hey Lee, try this. Hey Lee, try that. Hey Lee, here's what I did. Hey Lee, here's my photographer. Hey Lee, here's the person who built my website. Yeah. Because I can never knock yeah. you off your throne of being you and right. that that yeah. when that light bulb went off it it, it was it was liberating right That's um yeah be, because i, I and it, it kind of goes into part of some of the stuff that i talk about john yeah um when i talk about competing i'm not talking about beating you to be the champion um i i talk about winning in the sense of me being my absolute best mm-hmm. because what's What's the point of beating you if you're a three and I get to a four in terms of rank and, and comparative or relative skill sets or success? If if I'm a four, but I should be an eight, what mm. am I really saying? Yeah. You're measuring and, yourself and so, against the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm the champ. I beat John Lurito, but John yeah. sucks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, what? what like, <laughs> yeah. What, what am I really saying? And and yeah. so again, from from sports, okay. So I'm competing, you know, against this pool of people. Okay, so I won that group, but there's another group right. on the other side of the field. I get my butt kicked over there. Mm-hmm. So can I really call myself a champion? Yeah. And so I I don't buy into this relative idea of success. Yeah. I, I it's it's I measure myself against myself. Now yeah. I'll leverage John's success to see what's possible, mm-hmm. right? If John, you know, I asked you about your setup, your equipment, because I, you know, it's great look, great sound. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll look and see what you're doing in that respect because it can help make me better. Right. But I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to gauge myself. It's 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 just trying to see what's possible. Um, how much better can I be? Yeah, definitely. So you you work. I want to talk about the the work that you do. You work a lot with team with organizations on building winning teams. Yes. I want to hit on that topic what you just talked about with measuring yourself. I mean, how do you find teams are are not 
conscious of that, of who they're measuring themselves against? And are they, are they getting caught in that a lot? And how, if they're in it, how do they get out of it? How do they become self-aware and snap out of it? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we can't answer that question without talking about culture. Mm-hmm. Right. And we can't talk about culture without talking about leadership. Mm-hmm. So, so leaders, leaders are keepers of the culture, mm-hmm. not just the people in charge, but even the leaders on the team, right? The best teams I've been on were, were player led, not coach led. Mm-hmm. So, but, but when we talk about culture, um, is there, is there the idea or the philosophy or the mentality that we're all interdependent and that none of us will ever be as successful as we could be unless we accept and embrace that interdependence. That's a cultural thing. And so you can't put a team player into a negatively competitive environment and expect success. Mm -hmm. Now, and, and, and also if you have this group of people, this culture, where we're all working together and we're making sacrifices and none of us, and we're all we people and not me people, and you throw in this this shark, you're also gonna destroy your team, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll never be as successful as you could be. Mm-hmm. So so there's this, there's this balance between the culture and the individuals in that culture. Mm-hmm. And that's when we talk about fit, right? You gotta have the right fit. Yeah, because you can disrupt your culture and screw everything up with just one person. Yeah. Um, so, so leaders are keepers of the culture. And okay, if you're not doing what's best for the team, you've got to go. Or if you're not the type of person who can be an asset to the team, we can't let you in. Yeah. What about you know? I talked to a lot of leaders that s- struggle with this, and I love this topic because I'm so passionate about culture. And I firsthand I saw the impact of good and bad cultures. Yeah. So yeah. you might be talking about we might be talking about a leader who's just taking over an organization or team. It's a turnaround, so they're taking over a bad culture, or maybe they've been running a good culture, but they see it really slipping. What do they do about it? What's the first thing? that a leader can do about it when they're aware that, okay, I don't have the culture I want. You've got to be honest with yourself. First, you have to be around <laughs> close enough where you can recognize it. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you've got to, then you've got to be willing to acknowledge it, that something went wrong here because until we acknowledge a problem, we'll never properly address the problem. Mm-hmm. I think the next critical step, is communicate, communicate, communicate. That is one of my five components of extraordinary teams. Um, There's gotta be open and honest communication. And and that's part of the culture as well. So so John, when I I do my keynote, you know, the five components of extraordinary teams and I talk about communication, I reference the movie, Remember the Titans. Mm -hmm. Maybe my favorite movie of all time. It's a football movie. But it's so more. It's so. It's about so much more than football. There's a scene in the movie where the team is on their way to preseason camp, and the team is essentially trying to integrate. There's one exclusively white school and one exclusively black school, and they've got to come together. And so, they're not assigned seats, and there's two buses taking them away to camp. And as you would imagine, all the white kids get on one bus, and all the black kids get on another bus. And the coach sees it. He's close enough to see it, to recognize what's going on. He understands culturally this is not, we're not going to be successful as a divided team. And what he forces them to do is to sit together on the bus. He's, he gets them all off the bus and he puts offense and defense together, white and black together. He makes those guys room together in the dorms. But more importantly, he, he makes them ask each other questions. Mm. He forces them to communicate, communicate, Wow. He forces them not just to share, but to listen. Mm. And I I just think that the only way we'll ever get to trust, which is part of that foundation of of cultural success, Mm -hmm. the only way we'll get there is through open and honest communication. If we don't know each other, John, we can't trust each other. Yeah. And if we can't be open and honest, we'll, we'll, we'll never get there either. Yeah. I think that that's so key. And that's, there's, there's a lot of leaders that, uh, they may even, they, they've heard, hey, I've got to communicate and I need to communicate more. They think they're communicating, but they don't realize they're not. They're not addressing issues. They're not 
communicating expectations. They're not breeding in a culture of communication. Yeah. It's a yeah. major problem, right? Um, even worse, they're not listening. Mm, yeah. So when, when you typically talk to leaders about communicating, we're typically addressing their ability to cast a vision, their ability to articulate direction, their ability to give information. Yeah. Great leaders, listen. Yeah, that's so good. Because there's no way, there's no way I can connect what's important to you to the completion of the team's mission and goal if I don't know what's important to you. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> right. I can't connect your your passions, your visions for your life mm -hmm. and, and your contributions to the team if I have hey, hey Lee, what's important to you? What what drives you? What 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 makes you tick? What gets you going every day? Mm -hmm. Because it may not be the widgets or the service that the overall company provides. Mm -hmm. For for example, let's let's just I love technology. I love being behind the scenes and making sure the audio, the visual stuff is perfect. If the sound's not right, I can detect it. Well, you know, the, the company makes soup. I don't know. <laughs> um, as a leader, can I connect your passion for technology to what's best for the organization and how we communicate both internally and externally? Mm -hmm. I may think you're a, a bomb or a waste of talent or apathetic or you don't care. I don't know that your thing, your passion is technology. Mm, and right. so I make these assumptions of, you know what, Lee's just not engaged. Lee just doesn't care. Lee's lazy. And it's not because I didn't cast this great vision and yeah. articulate very well and write the best emails possible and issue the great, the best statements ever. Right. No, it's because I never listened to you. I have no idea what's important to you. Right. And if I don't know that from listening, I can't connect that to, to, to our company being the best soup makers and communicating via technology and social media, mm -hmm. um, how great our soup is and how much value our soup adds to the world. That's great. How does a leader do that as, organiza as an organization grows? I see a lot of leaders also struggling with, okay, how do I keep this organization, the culture, the same? We got a good culture or great culture. How do I still remain connected with my people? How, what's your advice when you talk to leaders like that? Great question. Um, great leaders hire great leaders who do those things because it's hierarchical, right? Again, here, here's my human resources mind, the org chart, mm -hmm. right? You know, I've, I've got five or seven people who report into me, I better know what they're doing, what's important to them. They've got respective teams. They've got 15, 20, 100 people un under them. Um, they've they've got to do the same thing for their organizations. Um, and again, it's part of a culture. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think what happens in organizations, you know, there's a thousand books that document this. There's this huge disconnect between leadership and, and staff, right? You know, leadership wants one thing, but it never properly trickles down mm -hmm. to, to, to what the people on the ground are actually doing. Right. And I think that's because we've kind of mishandled that mid-tier leadership. Yeah, um, We don't expect from them what we do for them. <laughs> right, right, you know, right. That makes sense. You know, I'm, try I'm trying to visually draw this org chart here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, like whether you've got a team of three and, you know, your, your responsibilities are janitorial services, you should know what drives your people. You should mm -hmm. know and you should understand how those services connect to the greater vision mm -hmm. of the organization. Okay. Um, so 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 the, the answer is it's the same thing. It's just at different levels. Um, yeah. I've seen great leaders... I keep going back to Penn State, Coach Paterno. We had one really bad year um, in terms of wins and losses. And back then, a bad year was we went seven and four in the regular mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. Right? Most most schools would love to love that. <laughs> yeah. For us, it was horrible. It was, you know. <clears throat> so what Coach did was he created a breakfast club. And instead of working to us through our coaches, 
he got two guys from each class. And typically there's five classes if you, you know, include the red shirt year. So there were 10 guys and he met once every two weeks or so. I don't remember the frequency of it, but he met with us for breakfast. He came into the, the dorm cafeterias and we sat around a big table and he spoke directly to us. Hmm. You know, and, you know, and, and, and corporations, they call it skip level yeah. meetings or skip level lunches where, yeah. you know, we kind of cut out the, the, the middle manager. Yeah. Um, um, or, or you see shows like um, Undercover uh, Boss or something. Yeah, yeah, Undercover Boss. Yeah. Where you find ways to, to really kind of see what's happening yeah. at the level, especially at the level where customers yeah. are connecting with yeah. us. And that's not something you don't see a lot of leaders do that. I mean, I don't, I don't see a lot of leaders do that. How important was that when Paterno did that? I'm sure he got, and you were able to, it sent a message to you, I'm sure. And it also allowed you to give him certain messages that he Johnny gave us a voice. Yeah. It gave us a voice. And and you mentioned a word earlier, it gave us a sense of ownership. Like, mm. wait, we actually can talk to him. And if there's something that's bothering us or upsetting us, like we now have the big guy's ear, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which was critical. And, and, and so I believe this, John, when, when there's a sense of ownership, you respect it differently and you protect it differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. When there's a sense of when it's mine, mm-hmm. I respect it differently and I protect it differently. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not just going to walk in my house <laughs> right. and just, you know, change everything up or do what you want. Like, because well, it's mine. It's like traveling. It's like renting a car. You know, how do we treat that rental car versus exactly. our own car? <laughs> totally exactly. Different. You know, my dad said this the other day. You don't you don't wax rentals. <laughs> no. You don't care for them the same way. You don't put the best gas in it. You don't do any, you know, you just, no. Hey, you got it only for no. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so the whole sense of ownership is critical. Is this my yeah. team or is it their team? Yeah. And, and when leaders have those type of conversations, um, a quick line that, that has stuck with me, a, a speaker friend shares this, um, one of the corporate mottos at, I don't even know the, the corporation doesn't matter. He says, act like you own the place. Mm-hmm. Every employee, act like you own the place. Mm-hmm. You know, and that goes from when you when you see a piece of paper on the floor, mm-hmm. whether you put it there or not, pick it up. It's mm-hmm. part, it, it, the dirtiness reflects who we are. Yeah. But also when you walk into, you know, a meeting, act like you, it's, it's I don't care what your role is in the company. It's, mm-hmm. it's your place. Yeah. I think it's four seasons and I hope I'm not messing this up, but that, that actually empowers each of their employees all the way to the, to any level of staff. They actually give them an ability to make decisions to handle customer issues in including money. They actually give them the power to give them a gift certificate to the restaurant or do something. And that could be the, uh, you know, the, the, the person cleaning the room, it could be the bartender, it could be anybody. But that's the level that they go to to breed that level. And then everybody does. They feel like they own it. They're a piece of this company. Yeah. They, they didn't come to that, John, without listening. Mm. Right. They didn't, they didn't. So, again, we'll go back to communication, but it's more listening than talking. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when leaders come to me and say, hey, Leah, you know, I'd like to improve my communication skills. They're always talking about how they deliver a message. Yeah not not how well they listen for messages from their teammates that's such a good point that's fantastic wow man i love talking with you i know we're uh, running toward the end here uh, but so many good things i mean i could take one of those topics and we could dive deep on that and maybe we can do that at some point um, I've, I've seen you, yeah, I've had you out to my past company to speak. You've done an outstanding job. You did an outstanding job. I know I've referred you to a bunch of people, a few people that have given me that feedback. You do an outstanding job. You are, I think at your best for sure. At least it sounds like you're out there doing 70 plus probably uh, <laughs> keynotes a year. Um, what's, what's, tell us just briefly about your business, what's happening, what you're working on now. <clears throat> Sure. Well, life has changed recently, mm-hmm. um, but but the core of what I do is still the same. I help organizations. I help leaders build extraordinary teams. Um, we, we talk about some of the intangibles. We, we 
try to dig deeply into what's going on in their particular organizations. So that comes in the form of keynotes. It comes in the form of Zoom calls now um, where I'm working with leaders. It comes in the form of, of spending time with your staff to, to help part of the listening process. So, but ultimately our goal is to transform a collection of talented individuals into a cohesive, extraordinary team. Mm -hmm. um, so th that's 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 my lane, <laughs> awesome. and I love being in it. I'm passionate about it because I just think um, we're, we're uh, I've said this four or five times. We're better together than we are by ourselves. Yeah. Well, you live it. Your whole life has been that way, and and you got a great book a book called Win, um, which is a an excellent book. What? Uh, how do people get a hold of that? How can they get a copy of it? They can visit my website. That's typically the best place to do it. LeeRubinSpeaks.com. That way um, I can get it out to you without it going through BarnesandNoble.com or Amazon.com. Um, so the website, the best place to do it. Um, I am excited, John, before, before our call, um, I was touching up the sales video um, during this pandemic and time at home. I've actually produced an online course. Um, so the five components of, of extraordinary teams, so I, I'm hesitant to give a date, but soon to be released, Okay. <laughs> um, an online course where at home you can, you can learn and go through the modules and go through the lessons and, um, regardless of industry, regardless of company size, figure out what those components are, um, to build an extraordinary team and measure your team against those ideas principles that's great and if people go to your website can they log in somehow to so that they get notification of when that's available no or get on your mailing list or something <laughs> Not like that yeah we're, we're still okay. yeah okay. i'm just kind of putting it out there because i think <laughs> okay. with the team stuff yeah uh, you know i just wanted to kind of put it out there that it's soon to be there okay but what they can do is follow me on social media and as soon as those dates are available awesome. um i will make sure that everyone knows about it so Perfect. LinkedIn, it's Lee Rubin, um, keynote speaker. There's a few Lee Rubens, uh, but Twitter and Instagram, it's at LRubin39, L-R-U-B-I-N-39. Okay. And, and I can keep everyone up to Good. date there. And we'll put all that in the show notes too and links and everything like that to your website. So uh, Lee, thanks so much, man. This has been fantastic. Yeah, always a pleasure, John. And, and and just for the record, like you got a chance to ask me a bunch of questions, but I love the stuff that you're putting out, whether it's the full podcast or the nuggets um, that I, I see on LinkedIn. Great wisdom, great insight. Um, I, proud of you. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Following your footsteps, trying to. <laughs> You're doing, you're doing a great job. Keep doing awesome. your thing. Well, be, thank you. Be, as we talked about before, be you, right? You know, you learn it. and pick and pull from people. Yeah. Um, but people want to hear John Lorita. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, my friend. So we've been here with Lee Rubin, uh, my close friend from back in high school, now a uh, leader, helping leaders get out there in the world, build great teams, extraordinary teams. Uh, LeeRubinSpeaks.com to get a hold of him. Uh, keep liking, sharing, subscribe, add comments, give me feedback. We appreciate everybody listening today. If you're like me, you got a lot out of this. And uh, Lee, once again, thanks for your time, buddy. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Tomorrow's Leader for suggestions or inquiries about having me at your next event or personal coaching. Reach me at john at loritogroup.com. Once again, that's J-O-H-N at L-A-U-R-I-T-O-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thanks. Lead on.